0: You're listening to petliferadio.com. Well, 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 good afternoon. And welcome to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And I am your host, Dr. Jeff Forber, here in, finally, not-so-sunny Southern California, at 1 o'clock p.m. And hello to everybody in the cold east around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe even lucky enough to be starting to make your drive home or on the train or whatever. And uh, listening to us, joining us live here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. One again wants to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, for providing you with veterinary quality products at prices you can afford Easy to get at your local mass retailer. And one of our retailing partners, Walmart. And finally, our, one of our newer sponsors is the IDEX Pet Health Network, where you can just go on and read our blogs. I'm one of the bloggers and a lot of information about your pets. You can ask questions to any number of our experts. And uh, so go check us out, pethealthnetwork.com. So before we get started on uh, something I want to talk to you uh, about, I did get uh, an email this week from Sarah. And um, here is Sarah's question. My 12-year-old Westie Poo, and interestingly, it's just another poo out there because those poodles, boy, they're getting everywhere. They're mixing with Shih Tzus and losses and Maltese and Bichons and, and Labradors. So there are a lot of poos out there. Um, it's recently started going to the bathroom in the house. I am thinking it is because of a very cold and snowy winter, but I wanted your opinion. She has also started panting quite a bit. Should I be concerned? Well, actually, Sarah, there are a couple of things that do concern me. And that is that dogs that are stuck inside but want to go out that are 12 years of age pretty much know the routine. And that routine is they're going outside. They actually know which door to go out. So when a dog is sort of truly stuck, but they also know where they're supposed to go, what door they got, that's where you're going to find the mistake. And when you find it there, you can't even remotely begin to worry or get upset because chances are they knew they had to go out. They knew it was time, but they know that nobody was, wanted to go out there in the cold and let them outside, so therefore they go usually right by, in my case, would be the back door. Now, when you have a 12-year-old dog, however, especially a Westie, and a lot of these breeds, the smaller breeds that are panting and nerves, have that nerve and anxiety, the panting could be pain, could be nerves and anxiety, and it could be just because, oh my God, I want to go out and mom's not taking me, therefore I'm starting to pant a lot and I'm going to just go where I got to go. But I would worry about some other urinary tract issues. And very commonly, I'd be worried about stones, urinary bladder stones. And those can cause some anxiety. It gives them that sensation that they have to go more often, more frequently. And therefore, they just may go wherever they are. We would also have to worry about some sort of cystitis, which is an inflammation of the bladder. And again, the bladder, now that it's inflamed, A, can't fill up as much as it used to, and B, because of the increased pressure being put on the bladder wall by whatever urine is in there, understanding, of course, that it is the pressure against the bladder wall that sends the signal to the brain that you got to go. So when one has a thickened bladder, ask any woman that has a bladder infection, and they know you feel the urge to need to go every 20 minutes. And it's because the bladder wall is thickened, it loses its, its elasticity, and therefore, that signal is being sent to the brain that your bladder is huge, and you got to empty it way before it ever gets huge, and it's because of the thickened bladder. So that, too, can cause this panting. So what I would recommend doing, if it's still a problem, is go have your 12-year-old Westie Poo checked out by, by your veterinarian, running some simple tests, maybe urinalysis, maybe a quick ultrasound of the bladder. And typically when we collect urine, we're going to use an ultrasound probe anyway. Then we get a chance to look at the ultrasound, look at the bladder wall, see how thick it is, see how regular or irregular it is. Note if there are any stones or very large crystals inside and make our decision that way. If everything is perfect, then maybe increase the walks. And uh, also one last thing to think about is that a lot of dogs, especially spayed females, As they get older, they suffer from what's called urinary incontinence, and that's where the bladder sphincter is weak, and they're not actively urinating in places they typically wouldn't, but when they're sleeping, the urine is leaking out. So then what happens is they wake up to a puddle of urine. So they know there was an accident, and for some dogs, especially if they're extremely well house-trained, that is going to create anxiety. Uh Uh-oh, I peed, mom's going to get mad at me, and they therefore start the panting. So that is one other thing to check, And and it's very important to note if you can observe the behavior, is she actively squatting to urinate or is she waking up from a nap or from her sleep and there's a puddle sitting there? There's a big difference between that is urinary incontinence and a bladder infection, bladder inflammation, or some other cause of urine where she's actually breaking house training because of some underlying medical or physiologic reason. So, Sarah, thank you very much for the note. I'll be sending you an email. I want your home address. And of course, as with anyone who, who calls us in here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the with Dr. Jeff, easy number 877-385-8882. We will send you out a free ProSense pet product, and I have a lot of good ideas for your 12-year-old Westy Poo female because we have some good products for 12-year-old dogs. Anyway, so why don't you give us a call, anyone who's listening in, 877-385-8882. You can also, if you'd like, just go ahead and send us. You can join on the conversation. It's very easy to do. If you go online to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, our page will come up, and you're going to see a picture of me and Lassie, and if you scroll down you will see a conversation that says click here to join the conversation. Go ahead and click, and then we can talk to us. Another thing you can do is easily send me a quick note to Dr. Jeff, that's Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and uh, Mark, our producer, will see the email come in, and we will just get you in touch with me right away. Now, one of the things that I did want to mention and talk about, I don't remember two weeks ago we were live if we talked about Henry. Henry was or is – I'm happy to say, a probably a thinking seven or eight-year-old American Eskimo that was found on a street in Los Angeles, walking around aimlessly, weak as can be, with a basically a neck gash so large that you can literally see everything inside the neck. And I'm talking muscles. You can actually see the trachea and a hole in the trachea because whatever bit poor Henry, and Henry was just a name we gave him clearly went through the neck, mangled. I'm thinking a very large, aggressive, powerfully-mouthed dog, or even coyotes would have done this to this dog. And we do see coyotes running loose and becoming more and more bold here in Los Angeles. So good Samaritan picked up this poor dog, taking him to a shelter for, I'm sure, what she thought would be euthanasia. And honestly, in this case, I would not have blamed anybody for putting this poor dog out of his misery. Well, one of the shelter volunteers thought that maybe Henry had a chance. So called one of the rescue groups, a rescue group that I don't work with, but the rescue group that's not really based here, at least the woman who manages the rescue is not based here. So she called a colleague of hers who is based here with a different rescue group, my friend Blake over at Rescue Pet. And Blake immediately called me, told me a little bit about the story, and said, look, the vet that I I want you to see is Dr. Jeff. So she brings this dog in, and I'm telling you, it was a disgusting sight to see. I'm telling you, the exposed tissue was black, that means necrotic. That means dead. That means dying. There's no way to help it. The tissue around it that was wide open, the gap was five, six inches wide, was also like like leather now. It was had no blood supply. It was dead, dying tissue. I called Blake. I said, Blake, no, this is not the kind of dog that we should be trying to put money into. This dog is really, it's suffering. So interestingly, she called this woman and the woman said, look, the problem is we got this dog out because of a good Samaritan act. And- we need to try something. So if he goes, he goes, but at least try for the next couple of days at least. So here it is, Thursday evening. I said, look, I'll do what I can, but really, this is a hopeless case, and, but we'll do what we can. So sure enough, we go ahead and start Henry on IV fluids, start pumping him with antibiotics and vitamins and plenty of fluids, and by the next morning, Henry actually came to life a little bit. He was able to at least sit up, hold his head up, and we then went ahead and uh, anesthetized and did what we need to do to remove all the toxic tissue, this dead necrotic tissue from the area, trimming away tissue, skin, muscle. We, in, in the course of doing this, we actually could visualize the trachea. It was amazing that the carotid artery and the jugular vein were not severed. And we see the trachea. I sew up the trachea. We close up as much of the defect as we could. It still had a very large defect. So now we're treating it what we call as an open wound with compresses and even sugar, believe it or not, that tries to keep a lot of the hydration there. And it's healthy for the tissue. And waited a day, two days, three days. And darn, if Henry started didn't come, coming to, sitting up, starting to eat, and I'm amazed. We did a second procedure a couple of days later to, to remove some more dying skin and to actually fix and close some more of the gap. Well, P.S., it's been two weeks now. Henry, his gap, the granulation bed is almost complete. That means the body's own attempt to close and fix the defect. He is eating. He is breathing normally. He doesn't, he's not losing any air through the trachea. He is Happy as can be, he runs, he plays, he's still, you know, we're not 100% there, but we're like 90% there. And I got to tell you that people are practically lining up to provide a forever home for this dog. It is just amazing. It's amazing. You know, it it really, what it did was, because I've become, I wouldn't say hard, obviously. I, I opened my heart and my hospital to these rescue groups, but I've become very practical. I learned a lesson a long time ago that I like to call the lesson of the herd health mentality when you're practicing small animal medicine we rarely have to deal with this mentality called the herd health mentality but my colleagues my classmates my friends that practice large animal medicine i mean it happens all the time and that loosely said is if you have a herd of sheep for example or a herd of cows for example and a few get sick You're not as concerned with saving these two as you are as finding out what happened. What is the problem? Because we can't afford to have whatever this disease is go through the entire herd. So if anything, instead of trying to save the one or two, you sacrifice them to do your postmortems, your necropsies, your find out what disease, culturing, and finding what the disease is and immediately trying to prevent this disease from spreading through the rest of the herd. Well, when you're dealing with rescues and these rescue groups, when you're dealing with the fact that you have thousands of animals that are literally on death row, that are going to be put to sleep tomorrow, that are extremely healthy and adoptable, you can't. You have to stop yourself as a rescuer from putting all this energy into one dog and spending several hundreds or sometimes even a $1,000 on the one dog. When with a $1,000, you can pull out close to 40, 50 animals from a shelter. So why spend your time and money on the one and one that may not even survive? And I'm continuously having this discussion with my rescue groups when they bring these animals in that really don't have much of a chance. You have to separate your bleeding heart from your practical heart and save hundreds instead of trying to save the one. And yet, in this case, boy good old Henry, those bleeding hearts won out. And I realized, you know what? Sometimes we're lucky we get to save the one. And what a great story. Anyway, with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks for joining me here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And we'll be back after this break. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Swipe It's a revolutionary new product that literally swipes away cat hair from virtually any surface. You know, most of us struggle with a roller or vacuum cleaner to clean up cat hair. But anyone who has tried either of these knows they just don't work very well. But Swipe It's patent pending glove has a magnetic-like quality that removes cat hair from almost everything. And best of all, Swipe It's is machine washable. So you can use it over and over again. To order, just visit SwipeIt's.com. That's S-W-I-P-E-T-S. A simple solution for shedding. And welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. And before we move on, I, I uh, we just finished uh, the, in the first uh, fifteen minutes. and We were talking about Henry. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to get some opinions. You know, just hearing the commercial from the new show from American Humane Association. I would love to hear. What some of you have to say, if you any of you are active in your local rescues, rescue world, this is, I know, it's a great subject for open debate. And uh, so why don't you um, give us a call? Come and get the guts up, Eight seven seven three eight five eight 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 two. Let me know how you feel about this concept of sometimes having to make these tough decisions on spending a lot on a few animals when you could take that money and pull hundreds out of shelters. Again, if you live in a, a community, as I do, where shelters are not no-kill, they are kill shelters. Filters. Timing is everything, and um, you know it's it's amazing that sometimes we will uh, a day for these poor guys makes a difference. They're there today and not there tomorrow because they're five days or seven days, whatever we're up. So anyway, think about that. A couple of other things that um, I've been doing a lot of uh, blogging. I do a lot of blogging, and uh, in addition to Pet Health Network, there seems to be a renewed interest I'm getting about toxins, but not your standard normal things that people know about, but you know, some of the things that people may not know about. couple came to mind that we've been writing about. Most of you, I know, have heard of raisins and grapes being poisonous. The problem is we don't know which dogs might have this hypersensitivity. It's not every. In fact, it's probably not even a majority, but those that do... It's very dangerous. And since it's not, there's nothing that we can test for. It's not like you can take your dog into your veterinarian and say, can you run that test to see if my dog is going to be sensitive to raisins and grapes? So the recommendation now is we no longer let our dogs treat on raisins and grapes. I used to give my dogs grapes all the time and never had a problem, but obviously I was a lucky one that didn't uh, have this problem. And if people here, you know, hear about chocolate. Chocolate's a little overrated. Baker's chocolate, pure, pure, unsweetened, dark chocolate, yes, can be fairly toxic. Well, by the time you start making it semi sweet or Especially milk chocolate, or using the cocoa powder to make your chocolate cake or your icing. By that point, they'd have to eat way enough. They'd be full before they eat. You know, they would get uh, any kind of poisonous reaction. So you know, keep that in mind. Raw onions, raw garlic can be a problem. We call that aflatoxins. That's an issue. Well, but one that it seems like a lot of people don't realize. And maybe if you do, that's great. But one that's important would be xylitol. Now, what is xylitol? Xylitol is an active ingredient that's used as a sweetener, an artificial sweetener, in a lot of chewing gums, sugarless gum especially, and also mints, like little breath mints. If you look at your ingredients, you're going to see xylitol, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. Be really careful because xylitol is toxic to dogs and cats and can cause kidney disease and so it's something you really need to know about and other things that really has a terrible effect on kidneys it is being reformulated interestingly because of a young girl who wrote to some of the manufacturers and started a whole campaign in her community that got something onto a ballot because her dog died from licking antifreeze and antifreeze one of the active ingredients is ethylene glycol which has a very sweet sugary taste and that too can be a problem, so just one thing to keep in mind, and it's not just not that they have to eat antifreeze from the bottle, but if you have a leak in a radiator, and so the, the antifreeze leaks out of the radiator. In the morning, you take the car away, and you got that little puddle there, and the unsuspecting dog, because it is smells good and is sweet, will go ahead and lap it up. Therein lies the problem. What this little girl has succeeded in doing is now many, if not most, of the manufacturers have to put in a bittering agent into the antifreeze so the dogs will not find it palatable. I think that's amazing. Now, speaking of something that I just learned for the first time yesterday, and I've been doing this for, this is my 30th year. And interestingly, I actually called a colleague of mine who actively practices with this particular species, has heard of this disease, but had never even seen it. And so this is how rare it is, but frightening nonetheless. I got a call yesterday from one of the big news shows, Inside Edition, and they want me to discuss a particular story. What is the story? The story is in June of 2013, a grandmother takes her grandson into a local petco here in southern california they're actually based in san diego and to buy a rat a pet rat how harmless is that i grew up i had pet rats in fact of all the little rodents that people like to get for their kids to starter pets i think rats are better than hamsters hamsters bite way more than rats they're better than mice they bite way less than mice and you know they, that's comparable as far as personality and cute is a guinea pig and they don't bite very much either so they've always been safe well, a few days after the purchase, this little boy starts getting sick. Grandma, and mom thought it was the flu: headache, fever, chills. Then the boy started exhibiting symptoms of weakness, pain in the legs and the joints. Had a tough time walking. Then it went to the, I guess, the brain because he couldn't speak. Rushed him to the hospital after collapsing. And a day later, this ten-year-old boy was dead. And what happened? Well, it turns out there is a an infection, a bacterium, that is present in many, 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 if not most rats. It's in their mucus tissues. It's in their body fluids like saliva, like the nasopharyngeal fluids, so any discharge from a nose, their eyes, their urine, their feces, and it's called Streptobacillus maniliformis, and it is a, a streptococcal bacterium that can cause this disease depending on strains on how powerful or virile the bacterium is. And it can be transmitted, of course, from a rat bite. So a little rat nibbles on your finger, you don't think twice about it. It can even be transmitted in urine and feces. So check this one out. Your kid is playing with a rat that urinated on itself, okay? Then you call him in for a snack and you made a wonderful little peanut butter and jelly sandwich for him. Or you made some popcorn and the kid goes into the kitchen. And starts eating his popcorn, of course, with his hands, eating his jelly, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, of course, with his hands, and he can ingest this bacterium. And so the take-home lesson, don't not get rats. That's not the answer. It's so rare. But just to be smart, playing with a rat before you eat, wash your hands. And it's true for dogs, your cats, your anything. Wash your hands before you eat. If you get a rat bite. Clean it well with soap and water. Do a little disinfectant with a little betadine, a little chlorhexidine, and maybe put a little neosporin on it and keep an eye on it. If it looks like it's turning into an infected bite, go to the doctor. Some antibiotics is an easy, easy, very effective solution to the problem, but you need to recognize the problem. So my recommendation is... Be smart. Be practical. As I said, the reason why we don't get sicker from our pets is because we are smart. We wash our hands before eating after we play with them. And that's how, for example, certain parasites can even be transmitted to kids from our dogs. Am I saying don't get dogs? Of course not. I have five dogs and I have eight cats. But you just have to practice a little common sense, a little hygiene, and you can easily still have these pets. But something that I just wanted to share with you because I just found out about it, and that's how uncommon this problem is. Inside Edition. If you're in the West Side of Los Angeles, 3:30 today, KCAL Channel 9, and you get to watch the segment on Inside Edition. Anyway, our time is up. I want to thank you all for joining me once again. Join me. Send me an email. Give us a call. We'll send you out a free ProSense pet product. Um uh, and you can also send me an email here to drjeff at petliferadio.com or my personal email, which is drjeff, drjeff at drjeff.com. We'll be here next week on pet life radio on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and have a great week. Thanks. Let's talk pets every week on demand, only on petliferadio.com.